Hello all, welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for SeedSings.com. I'm your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me here is the strongest and toughest and most entertaining person I know on the entire planet, and that's Ty Kulik. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. I don't think anybody would describe me as the most entertaining person. I'm about as, what's his face from Idiocracy, Joe Owen Wilson plays him. Not that's sure. how I live my yeah, that's how I live my life. I'm like, I'm the most straight down the middle average person there could be. Well, then we have a lot of problems considering this is an entertaining format. So, <laughs> Well, I'm entertaining on here, but in my regular life. Now, this is one of the times I'm going to tell you the story about something within our lives. This is more I'm going to tell the story from my point of view. And before I start, I know people have seen the title of this and they're like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get a lot wrong. Okay, because first off, I try to keep these underneath an hour long. Second off, if I want, I'm going to do just a very specific period of time. And third, I'm going to talk about how I experienced it. So those of you super fans out there, you know where to find me. I know you do. So come at me. But I just wanted to make that clear. So, Ty, we need to start in about the year. Was it? Hold on. Before you get started, I just want to say that. We were supposed to record last week, and my kids had a four-day weekend from school, so I couldn't do it. And you have not told me what we're talking about. Oh, no, no, no. So I'm going into this completely blind. Even when we got on the call today, you said, all right, I've I've had this in the works for a while. So I'm very curious, Yeah, and I'm going to also say this. I know everybody's like, just get to the damn fireworks factory, and I understand that. (laughs) But this is something that's got a lot of, and the second half will cover some of it, has got a lot of really dark, dark stories I'm going to try to focus on the entertaining aspect of it, but we are not going to be able to get away from some of the darkness. Darkness can be entertaining, too. Yeah. So around, uh, I don't have the exact year. I just, the only thing I have in front of me is about 5,000 years ago. So let's say around 3,000 BCE. The Sumerians, the Sumerian society had a, had a poem or a, a story called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, it talks about two men facing each other in hand-to-hand type combat. And throughout history, is the ancient Egyptians, all that stuff, there's always been history of men fighting for sport, okay? Mm -hmm. It wasn't until the ancient Greeks decided to create the Olympic Games that the sport of wrestling was actually recognized as a form of competition. Okay. <laughs> so you have that and then there's always been this kind of this kind of idea of uh competitive wrestling, two men fighting each other and who can better the other man. But it wasn't yeah. until around the uh the 1800s that there were these strongman competitions throughout the United States and stuff where the matches were fixed, where the matches were predetermined on who was going to win or not. Mm-hmm. Have you figured it out yet? Yeah. I, well, you said Gilgamesh, and I was thinking Smurfs, but <laughs> that's I think Gargamel. that's somebody else. Gargamel. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, wrestling. You're talking about wrestling, which you do have a very – you have a intimate relationship with. I not, – not as much. No, no. I mean, now what I'm going to be talking about is obviously the concept of pro wrestling, not mm-hmm. this concept of Olympic wrestling, but it did get its origins. And as I talk about some of these people, they do have their origins in some athletic prowess, some athletic endeavor. Oh, so, yeah. So you had those strongman competitions, but they kind of fell out of favor because the audience figured out they were fixed. And they were like, oh, how dare you? That's not real sport. How dare you do this? 
it wasn't until about the 1940s, and it was in uh, it was specifically in Mexico and Japan, that people thought to themselves, you know what? What if we dressed these people up and we gave them characters and they became these figures that people could root for or they could root against? You had in Mexico in the 1940s, El Santo was an example. And then you it's had the dope name. Yep. You had the rise of the luchadors. And so people are going to come out to watch these matches, to watch the bad guy be a bad guy and watch a good guy be a good guy. So some very uh, enterprising people kind of looked at it and thought, maybe this is what we should do. So in the United States around the 1950s saw the rise of regional wrestling. You would have mostly in the South. If you watch the last season of the Righteous Gemstones, yep. they talk Huge about that. storyline in there. Yeah. <laughs> so you had these kind of figures all throughout the South. And Eric Roberts in his probably his greatest role today. Oh, yes. Easily. I'm trying to think. There's a couple of other great Eric Roberts roles, but I can't really come to. But the time period in specific that I want to talk to you about, Ty, is... In 1973, a regional wrestler underneath, and this is where I'm going to start getting stuff wrong. It's not Vince McMahon. It's his father. People realized this guy was a big deal. His name was Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. So he started to become the face of what would be known as the World Wrestling Federation. It was, I think, originally it was like the Wide World Wrestling Federation. It was WWWF. As I go through this story, I'm going to refer to the WWF a lot. Now, when I say WWF, I'm not talking about World Wildlife Foundation, which (laughs) is a big reason why it's no longer there. But Mm -hmm. with this very popular, uh, huge man, by any means, and somewhat charismatic, Andre the Giant, they started to bring wrestling into more of a national uh, face. He was Andre the Giant was probably one of the first big nationally well-known names in wrestling. So with this Worldwide Wrestling Federation and all this stuff, and then with the rise of cable television in the late 70s and early 80s, specifically the Turner Broadcasting System, TBS, they started to show these wrestling matches on TV. So it went from a very regional, mostly southern thing to all of a sudden people see Andre the Giant and they see people like that and they're like, Oh, look at that man. He is huge. Kind of like, uh, what's his name? The new senator from Pennsylvania, Fetterman. The yeah. Republicans all try to say, look, he's dumb or he has a medical condition where the rest of the people are like, look at that man. He is huge. That is yeah, the biggest man totally. I've ever seen. Andre the Giant kind of had that same, uh, that same cachet. So it was also around this time that the heads of the WWF in order, because people are like, you know, there was still a time period, and this is when I was growing up, where, ooh, is wrestling real, which I'll get to in a little <laughs> bit here. But they kind of, they rebranded it as what was called sports entertainment. Mm-hmm. And they leaned heavily into this concept of entertainment over sport. Now, is there anything you remember about wrestling early in your life? I mean, I know Andre the Giant because... Funnily enough, for me, it's not from wrestling where I first saw him. I saw him in um, The Princess Bride, yep. which is a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And he is excellent. And you talk about charisma. He's him and uh, his buddy in that, not Carrie Elwes, but the one guy who says inconceivable all the time. They ooze charisma off the screen. The two of them together are great. But I knew of Andre the Giant, and I'm sure you'll get to guys like Hulk Hogan and Rach- Macho Man Randy Savage and guys like that. But I remember you and our oldest brother watching it and the only this is you know more personal than wrestling or anything but i don't remember the name of these two guys but they were two guy brothers i guess who wrestled or whatever 
and they would like lick people the bush bushwhack brothers <laughs> bushwhack twins i think yeah, yeah. <laughs> bushwhack twins. we're gonna I talk remember, about a lot of the personalities well, in the second half and I, I, well, I was just like what i remember from that because i didn't really watch wrestling i think i knew from a young age that it wasn't real and i'm like what am i gonna watch this for and not that it wasn't entertaining it just never appealed to me but i remember you and our oldest brother essentially tackling me and licking me on the face <laughs> over and over again saying you were these guys so I knew who they were because you guys used to harass me being the youngest brother. But wrestling never appealed to me as a kid because I had football and I had basketball and I had baseball. And I'm not, I, and I'll talk more about it in the second half, too. I'm not taking anything away. These people are hyper-athletic. Great movie I'm sure we'll talk about on here. The Wrestler shows you how athletic these guys have to be. But wrestling never... It never grabbed me. I have tons of friends who are into it. I know a lot of people are into it. Wrestling never appealed to me. though. Well, I'm glad you actually said that because I'm going to end basically in 1990 or so as I talk about this. I'm not going to talk about the NWA. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to mention them as kind of the end of an era, but I'm talking about what is specifically called the the second golden age of wrestling. The first you say I NWA. And I think, oh, yes, right. No, exactly. that, well, saying, that's where my brain goes. But I know there's a lot of people who only know that from wrestling. But my brain goes to music. I think I'm going to argue, I think your generation in particular is kind of a lost era of wrestling. Because totally. when you got into it, the people that I kind of followed were coming out of the sport. And then when you just didn't care about it, people like Stone Cold Steve Austin or yeah. The Rock or John Cena or any of these people, totally. they started to come into the sport. So you kind of have this. That's why I wanted to talk about this, this weird kind of time period. Now, you yeah. mentioned Hulk Hogan. And rest- before you go on, just <laughs> real quick, I do want to talk about Hulk Hogan. And I've never seen the videotape, but everybody knows he has a sex tape out there. I've never seen it, but my wife and I will sit here and crack. She cracks up because anytime we talk about that, I always talk about him saying, because I know from reading about it, him saying, like, oh, my stomach hurts. I shouldn't have eaten all that sushi. Before he was about to <laughs> bed his friend's wife. That's what he was thinking. And wasn't it That's Brett Hulk Michael's Hogan. wife? I have no idea. I, I It could very yeah. well have been. I, for some reason, I want to say it was like his manager's wife. But uh, on, all, I, all I remember, and again, I've never seen that. I've just read about it, is him <laughs> bemoaning the amount of sushi he ate before he's going to do this act with his friend's wife. Yeah, so... <laughs> Again, there's a lot of negativity that we can talk about. Hulk Hogan <laughs> is one of the reasons that so racist. Too. Yes, <laughs> that people like Peter Thiel are where they are, and places like Gawker, which is not a great, wasn't great to begin with. That's a story for another yeah. day. Are gone, but still, no, no heroes in that story. Let me just put it mm-hmm. that way. But for sure, wrestling was like I said, it was on cable, it was getting the thing. It really wasn't until 1983 when they signed Hulk Hogan. Terry Gina Bolea, I believe is how you say his name. <laughs> but what again, what the difference between an Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, you talk about the Princess Bride. Andre the Giant, look, English is not his first language. And yeah. they, they Rob Reiner, when he did that movie, and even his performance really used the fact that he has very stilted English. He's a very, very large man. Hulk Hogan, they really leaned in this whole larger-than-life thing. Now, at the time, too, wrestling was starting to become kind of a big deal. With that, you had—so Hulk Hogan is starting to become one of their big, big stars. 
they were like, let's branch out of wrestling. And I'm going to talk in a second here about somebody coming from entertainment into wrestling. So early on, I, I think this is even before he signed with a WWF, but Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips made a cameo in Rocky three. Now Thunderlips is his name. Yes. <laughs> now I'm going to go to bat to hell for Rocky three. We're going to do our guilty pleasures podcast. That's another one it's I have on here. It's pretty. not a good movie. Oh, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> Rocky three is Whereas Rocky and Rocky 2, I actually think are genuinely good movies. I will tell people, 100%. look, those are good yeah. movies. Rocky 3 is definitely the decline before Creed, I guess is what I could call. But yep. man, did it sit on top of a mountain before it rolled down. And just just iconic, iconic moments. Now, one of those is early in the movie where uh, boxing heavyweight champion Rocky is doing this wrestling match against Thunderlips. and. Yep. They talk about how the whole thing is fixed. Hulk Hogan's uh-huh. telling. So here's little old me in what in '83. It probably came out in the summer, so I was like eight, watching yeah. <laughs> my heroes tell me the thing I love the most yeah. is fake right now. It's it, like finding out. It would be like my daughter watching a movie where they say Santa Claus is real. Mm-hmm. My daughter would lose her mind if she heard that. Which speaking, of, we had uh, we did our Christmas party like a week before Christmas, and I remember a friend of mine said. I like asked him how the party was. He was like, it was great, it was great, it was great. Uh, somebody told our seven-year-old that Santa doesn't exist. And I'm like, oh, oh crap. No. <laughs> That's how old my daughter is. It's a bummer, right? <laughs> so, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> so, but no, that's I imagine that was your response yes. at eight years old seeing Hulk Hogan talking to Rocky, being like, Hey, this is what we're gonna do. Now it's in, insane, man. That's nuts. Yeah, in Hogan's time in the WWF in the eighties, he also did he frontlined movies, No Holds Barred, Suburban Commando, Mr. Nanny. These by no means is what Dave Bautista or John Cena is doing or anything like that. No. I, I'm not even going to criticize Dwayne Johnson. He's doing better stuff than that. But I, I he think did Southland Tales. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> so you get this kind of wrestling is becoming bigger in the entertainment world. And even to the point in 1984, Number one singer in America, Cindy Lauper, MTV icon, signs on to be in the WWF. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of commercials. Now, also, it's not just the wrestlers. There were the managers were becoming yeah. a big deal. And then some of the announcers. I'll talk about Mean Gene, some of the <laughs> announcers here. But Well, didn't Cindy Lauper have a wrestler guy in her video? Captain Lou Albano. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. who was one of the managers. This was a big deal. You would get these guys who were also the managers. And Captain Lou went on to play Mario as a live action Mario. And in one of the podcasts I did when you were during the summer, when it was just me, where I did the public service announcements, you had Captain Lou in his Mario hat doing some PSA in Philadelphia about drugs, telling the kids if you do drugs, you're going to die, that you're going to go to hell and die. I'm Captain Lou Albano talking about drugs. Kids, don't be afraid to say no. Anyone that asks you to use drugs is not your friend. Drugs can and will kill. Remember, don't be afraid to turn to your priest, your rabbi, your minister, your moms, your dads, your teachers, because drugs can kill. And if you do drugs, you go to hell before you die. Please. Shoot, if Mario slash Captain Lou's telling me that, I better not do drugs. Yeah, you better not. That's why I'm clean to this day. Well, I mean, you you are nobody can see because this is a listening medium, but you are drinking Mountain Dew right now. Oh, yeah, how clean that is. It's the second one I've had. So, <laughs> oh man, and it's <laughs> it's just not even noon my time yet. Now, on the other side of it, which kind of brought uh, some attention to wrestling too, is there was a 
there, there's comedian that was you either loved him or hate on them. There were some people that just you, I talked to people older than me, and they're like, "This is he was the worst ever." But then you talk to people like our father and stuff, and they think he's one of the best ever. And that's Andy Kaufman. I like Andy Kaufman <laughs> personally. So, do you know? I mean, obviously, it was in the Milos Forman movie and stuff like that. But do you know anything about Andy Kaufman's wrestling career? I know that he was a. I believe the term they use is heel, as far as staging everything. I, so I, it's funnily enough, I know this from watching Man on the Moon, the Jim Carrey movie, and then watching the documentary that Andy Kaufman like only wrestled women. Yes, and that he, <laughs> yeah, he, he would you know do this whole spiel and be real misogynistic about it. But that was that was his bit. He was wrestling women. That's what I remember about it. Yeah, he called himself the intergender champion of the world. Um, and he <laughs> See, that's a good joke. It's wrong, it's yeah. bad, but that's a good joke. But it goes back to this whole wrestling is a show. You know, yeah, somebody like totally. Andy Kaufman that understood kind of taking reality and bending it to his entertainment will. Uh-huh. I, I mean, and, you know, there's another time we can talk about all the other stuff with Kaufman, but he was already kind of a big deal. I mean, Taxi oh, yeah. was a huge show. He was well-known as a great comedian. I don't know if he'd been kicked off Saturday Night Live yet. Had he done his SNL bit with the Speed Racer song? That's or what I mean. Speed Racer, or uh, Mighty Mouse, yeah. Mighty Mouse, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if all that was... But it, it was... He, he started... This was... I want to say it was late 70s. Didn't uh, he do it on Letterman? Isn't that where it so, all started? Yeah, so a couple of things I need to bring up here. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, Kaufman originally went to uh, Vince McMahon Sr. It was Sr. about bringing his act to the WWF. And McMahon was like, I'm not letting any weird show business people into my sport. So if you think about it, a lot of the wrestlers graduated from wrestling to show business. This was a different thing. And so there was a a wrestling reporter by the name of Bill Apter. And Apter said, hey, there's a a guy, he's a regional wrestler, he's not big in Memphis, Named Jerry Lawler, nicknamed the King. Mm. So he's like, yep. let me introduce you to him. Now, a lot of this is Lawler and Kaufman and all of them said none of this was set up, but it was. I mean, come on. A hundred percent, yeah. So uh, Kaufman and Lawler decided they put together this thing where the first man that uh, Andy Kaufman was going to wrestle was going to be Jerry the King Lawler. And they had this big thing in Memphis. <laughs> and before the match, Andy Kaufman had a video screen and he was showing people in Memphis instructional videos on how to use soap. This is a bar of soap. Now, does it look familiar to any of you? I know that you probably don't know what this is. I probably, you haven't ever seen one of these before, but it is called soap. Matter of fact, if you're sitting at home now, you can maybe kind of repeat after me and say soap. Say soap, S-O-A-P, soap. Not soap, not soap. It's soap, okay? Say it. Soap, okay. Now, (laughs) (laughs) and he kept proclaiming loudly that Memphis is the redneck capital of 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 America. (laughs) Oh my, that's that's a great heel turn for him for sure. (laughs) So, and people, he got death threats. People hated him. It was just unreal. And then. And uh, Lawler, I don't know if it was in this match or what, but Lawler ended up pile-driving him, so Kaufman said he broke his neck. And then uh-huh. that's when they were on Letterman, and Lawler <laughs> smacked him and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But I remember that. It does say here that uh, the people surrounded with him have said, Lawler doesn't really talk about it, but have said it was all fake. It was all fake, but that didn't come out until a decade after Andy yeah. Kaufman had passed away. 
if you think about all the the stuff that Andy Kaufman did, the things that we remember him by, the wrestling is definitely one of them. It's a big part of that movie. It's a big part of his story. And I didn't know the whole bit about, you know, telling people in Memphis how to wash soap or whatnot. But it's funny because I, I'm a Grizzlies fan, so I go to a lot of their games. And <laughs> wrestling is a big deal there. And Jerry Lawler is a big deal in Memphis. So the fact that he would do something like that to that guy. Uh, again, I, I like Andy Kaufman. So I'm an Andy Kaufman fan. Yeah. He also, uh, Kaufman also did. There's a, uh, speaking of Wallace Shaw from um, from Princess Bride, his name. Yep. he was in a very famous movie called My Dinner with Andre. I uh-huh. believe The Simpsons even parody it, where Martin well, Prince is playing uh, the video game. Waiting for Guffman also. Yes. He has the whole figurine set, yeah. Kaufman did do a movie with a uh, another wrestling icon, Classy Freddie Blassie, where the movie was called <laughs> My Breakfast with Blassie. So, <laughs> so even to the point there was a, a PlayStation 2 video game called Legends of Wrestling, and Kaufman was one of the unlockable characters in that game. That's so, awesome. <laughs> he is. And, I mean, video games, too, you know, early on, Nintendo famously had a pro wrestling game. One of the characters was Starman, who was like one of these Mexican luchadors. He had a nice. big mask on. He would do these things. Another one, I believe his name was the Amazon and he looked like uh, an alligator man. One of the moves is he would grab your guy and gnaw on his head, or he would take something out of his boot and beat the guy with him, and the ref would come, and the Amazon would be like, I don't have anything. So oh, my God. <laughs> even that video game was showing me wrestling was fake, and I refused to believe it. Well, yeah, when you like something so much, it's going to be hard to admit that it's not real. I get that. To end off this first half, just to kind of end the history, and then we're going to talk about some of the personalities here. In the late 90s, the WWF was large, was huge. Had I mean, some of the names I'm going to list off, Ty, even if you don't know who they are, you're going to be like, there was a dude that was that in pro wrestling. <laughs> the stable of people was massive. I mean, you talked about like 100 stars. When I was looking up the top wrestlers of the 1980s, what is it? Uh, Bleacher Report has the top 50. I mean, Jeez, this is it's got huge. So there wasn't enough. There was only one Hulk Hogan, as we'll talk in the second half. Andre the Giant had died, and mm-hmm. there was there were other people up and coming, but things were changing a lot. Wrestlers needed to find a new way. In the case, the one I'm going to start off with in the first half, he went a very odd way, but most of them, they needed to get a bite of the pie, so they went back to regional wrestling. And around this time, and WWF is huge. NBC has a Saturday night wrestling show that... The National Wrestling Association, the NWA, started to come about, and it was a little bit more violent, and it was a little bit more women were dressed a little less, and things like that. It was appealing to a younger demographic, and WWF had to do something. And so they, in 1985, they created a massive event called WrestleMania. WrestleMania was going to bring all the stable of big wrestlers around, and the biggest biggest thing about WrestleMania, it was pay-per-view. So kind of the, the the top of the hill before the WWF sees its fall is WrestleMania 3, which took place, God, I don't even have the year. I'm pretty bad at this. But anyways, it took place at the Pontiac Silver Dome in Detroit, hey. in Detroit yep. Michigan. Uh, 93,000 fans, over 93,000, which is the largest paying attendance in the history of the Holy sport. Cow, yeah. As a matter of fact, to drive attendance, the WWF would not allow pay-per-view access in the state of Michigan to force people from Michigan. If they wanted to see it, they had to come down to see it. The event featured defending World Heavy- Heavyweight Champ against Andre the Giant. 
There was a match between Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, which a lot of people regard as the best ever. WWF was at the top, Ty. How many WrestleManias have you paid for? Zero, because I've never (laughs) seen one. But again, I know of them. I've heard of WrestleMania. Never watched one, but I get it because when I was in high school, I was really into boxing. That's another sport we could talk about that is probably fixed. Mm -hmm. I know some people say may or may not, but I would watch a lot of boxing matches and that was pay-per-view. And when I would go on pay-per-view to get those, or I'd go to my friend's house and we'd get them. They always had WrestleMania like pictures on the side of the TV as well. So I was aware of it. I had friends who were in it into that type of stuff, but I never watched I've never seen a single WrestleMania in my life. I know what a cage match is, but that's probably only from the the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire because they do something. You mentioned Macho Man Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. I believe that's who he fights in that. But just the sheer fact that I know what WrestleMania is should should speak volumes about how popular it is. Yeah, WrestleMania was uh, March 29th of 1987. I did want to do that. So yeah, no. that, that is maybe one of the last big wrestling events I remember watching. It was kind of, I guess for me, I remember watching it. I remember going to a friend's house. Somebody's sure. somebody's mom or dad was cool enough to put up the money for it. <laughs> and I remember thinking it was the greatest ever, and it just was done. And a lot of it to me was because I followed wrestling because of the stars. And we'll take a break here sure. and then talk about those stars. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. The biggest professional athlete in the entire world, my guest at this time, his name Andre the Giant from Grenoble, France. Just exactly how tall are you, Andre? How much do you weigh? Seven feet, four and a half, and I weigh 497 pounds. Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, I want to start this off to talk about how... Again, this is about me because I'm selfish about how. Well, you watched wrestling. <laughs> I didn't. So. so I had, I didn't even want to talk about toys. There were these WWF figures. They were, God, I want to say. I remember that, those. Yeah, I want to say they were like 10 inch, kind of really rubbery. And there was a ring you could throw them at. I believe there was even a Cindy Lauper, all this stuff. But <laughs> there was a particular wrestler that, okay, I need to talk about the 1980s a little bit here. 
this concept in the 1980s of, and I'm, I'm stealing from a future podcast I'm going to do as I talk about this, but I want to set this up. There was this notion of we need to back the military. And I don't mean the way we back it now is that this is, we're a decade removed from Vietnam or not even a decade, less than a decade. And there was a big push in Reagan's America to make the, make the army cool again, make the military cool again. Nowhere was that more pronounced than my favorite cartoon, G.I. Joe. And when I go and talk about the story of G.I. Joe, there's a big joke about how they never hit anything and everybody parachutes out. It's because that cartoon was written by a bunch of super liberals. Okay. You know, they, That's cool. I didn't know that. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. And they made... <laughs> You know, they made the women on both sides, the good and the bad side, the most. Con- There's an entire cartoon episode where the women take over and they're way more competent than any of the dudes. So That's true to life. Man. Yes. So <laughs> this is the early 80s. It really warped the way that I think in a good way that, you know what? Women are pretty damn capable, even with mm-hmm. guns and lasers or whatever it is. So obviously I'm big in the G.I. Joe and about the mid 1980s. A very famous pro wrestler named Sergeant Slaughter came over to the cartoon. For those of you that have read my countdown, I make it very clear I'm not a big fan of Sergeant Slaughter and G.I. Joe because they make him out to be more like a superhero. But he was. He was this drill sergeant. He had this like green tank top that said USA, had the mirrored shades. I love Sergeant Slaughter as a wrestler. So it was kind of this this rehabilitation, then along with things like Rambo and stuff like that. But yeah. anyway, so... Sergeant Slaughter was this person in wrestling that went to the cartoon of G.I. Joe. Even he would do live action introductions and reruns of stuff. He had his own action figure. Again, I'm stealing from some of the stuff I'm going to do in the future. But there are two live real human beings at G.I. Joe action figures, him and William the Refrigerator Perry. So (laughs) so it was so he was he kind of. We go back to this entertainment, but we go back to entertainment for kids as a lot of kids were watching this. Well, I don't know why. I'm sure there's a bigger story for this. But around the time of the Iraq War, Sergeant Slaughter was the first Iraq War. Sergeant Slaughter wasn't getting as much love on G.I. Joe. So he decided or on uh, WWF. So he decided to team up with the Iron Sheik. Now, the Iron Sheik is... I, I want to say he was from Iran, so you could call him the Iran Sheik or whatever. He was a bad guy. He had won a few championships. Yeah, things like that. Now, <laughs> I will tell you right now, if you, anybody that's still on Twitter, go follow the Iron Sheik. He is one of the best Twitter follows. He tweets in all, he's a 70-something-year-old man. He, te- he tweets in all caps all the time. He says, you know, like, anybody that doesn't love Greta Thunberg is a jabroni. And then he he has <laughs> multiple tweets a day where he just says F Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so, but, he, but he was the bad guy. He would represent these evil Middle Eastern people. Was, yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't his caricature kind of problematic? Oh, of course it was. Did. Yeah, okay, very much yeah. so. Sergeant Slaughter teamed up with him and he started talking about how great of a guy Saddam Hussein is. America's okay. wrong. Now, I agree with Sarge in that America is wrong to go into endless wars, but he became a sympathizer to the Iraqi people when the U.S. was invading. So 
he subsequently lost his deal with G.I. Joe. And uh, nah. now today, the guy who plays Sergeant Slaughter, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, he is like he's another great Twitter follow. He's really good to the G.I. Joe fan base. And he goes to conventions and people take pictures of him. Dude looks great for being in the 70s. But that's what was happening. They were you were taking these figures and they were moving to become, quote unquote, bad guys or good guys. The heel, right? Isn't that yes, what they call yeah. them in wrestling? Keep using that. No, term. that's all right. So, oh, did the Iron Sheik wear like a crazy thing on his head too? And yeah, he, man, that. <laughs> oh no, was, it was the eighties or the nineties or this. No, this was eighties. Uh, this was eighties. Man, that's problematic. But I like that the real person like supports Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's still bad mouthing Hulk Hogan. Oh god, constantly. Awesome. It's constantly Good. again. He is. He's one of the people I probably we retweet. Once every few days, because you're right, everybody is a jabroni. Or yeah, yeah. they are. So I, I was talking about how the WWF they'd have a championship, and this is where you'd get a lot of your a lot of your big stars. So in 1983, the champion was the Iron Sheik. That's where he became known. He had a special move called the Camel Clutch. Yes, it wasn't very oh. PC. <laughs> but, um, but the very next year. Hulk Hogan won the championship from him. The very next year, Andre the Giant won. Now, I want to say what's uh, what's important about, or not the very next year, it's a few years later, I'm sorry. What was important about Andre the Giant's win over Hogan, because Andre the Giant was kind of a bad guy. That's why it's weird to see him in the Princess Bride as a good guy. But uh, he beat Hulk Hogan because Ted DiBiase who was in Andre the Giant's corner, bribed the ref, and then the ref threw the match for Andre the Giant. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. <laughs> and immediately after Andre the Giant won, he handed the belt over to Ted, uh, Ted DiBiase. Okay. So a lot of people are going to talk about that Hulk Hogan's the biggest star. I actually don't agree with that. In my lifetime, I think the biggest star in all of wrestling is one of two guys. I'm going to start with the first one, though, because in the next WrestleMania four, Randy Savage, the Macho Man, beat Ted DiBiase. Now, you have some thoughts on the Macho Man. <laughs> macho Man Randy Savage, I remember him because he wore real bright colors, like the stuff that back in vogue now, that's cool. But I remember seeing the bright colors, always had sunglasses on, always wore a bandana, had this wild, crazy hair, but... What I know about him, because I, you know, I see videos now of it, is he had these insane pre-match interviews where it's just he's clearly on copious amounts of cocaine, just going off talking to who's ever talking to him. There's there's a famous announcer. He has a mustache. I know wrestling people know who he is. Mean Gene Oakland. You see these videos of the two of them, and like I, I can't believe that Mean Gene Oakland could keep a straight face while this is going on. I'm talking about the former Intercontinental Champion of the World, Macho Man nothing Randy. Means nothing. 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 nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. What do you mean by that? More. I'm talking about all the way to the top, yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in, but the cream will rise to the top. I didn't watch wrestling, again, to reiterate that. I didn't watch it. I would see Macho Man Randy Savage telling me to snap into a Slim Jim and saying, oh, yeah, which I guess was his catchphrase or whatever. He kind of reminded me of a real-life Duff Man. That's how I looked at Macho Man Randy Savage. This is what Duff Man would be if he were in real life, and he was just, he was always beat red, he was always sweating, and he was always telling me to snap into a Slim Jim. And I kid you not, I, like, make my own beef jerky now, but I think seeing those commercials as a kid inspired me to get into the world of beef jerky because this crazy guy was telling me to snap into this beef stick that I could eat. 
I, I like I could tell you nothing about his wrestling career other than those interviews that he had. And that's just because I, that's recency that I've seen those. But him telling me to snap into a Slim Jim, taking a bite of it and saying, oh, yeah, is how I know Macho Man Randy Savage. So up until this time wrestling, they all had their like traditional, either their Speedos on or their singlets. And there were some people that had a little stick here and there. And suddenly, like you said, in all the colors, leopard prints, fringe, mm-hmm. all this stuff, hey, they the big ass sunglasses, bandana, yep. lawn hair, comes Randy the Macho Man Savage. and Such a dope name, too. And this is, I'm going to blame, I'm going to blame McMahon and them for this because I'm going to do it. But he would always come, oh, yeah, this is what I am going to crush him. And he, even to the point, another thing I encourage people, he was on Arsenio Hall's show one time. Arsenio was like, does the Macho Man ever cry? And he goes, you know, Arsenio, the Macho Man cries a lot because if you're a true Macho Man, you're going to be in touch with your feelings and you're going to know who you are. <laughs> it's like, so he was this just weird force on, totally. on the wrestling scene to the point is I can't remember any of Macho Man's matches. He's no, <laughs> I just remember. I couldn't tell if he's a good guy or a bad guy either. Well, it, again, I think it kind of goes you know, back and forth. The big thing about the Macho Man, though, is I was talking about you had these managers and you had, uh, oh, God, there's like Mr. Well, Mr. Perfect was a wrestler, but he ended up being a manager and uh, Ted DiBiase, Captain Lou. Well, Randy the Macho Man had Miss Elizabeth, who was this mm. tiny little huge 80s hair woman, attractive woman who was always by his side managing him. And in real life, they were married. I think they got divorced. But in the story of wrestling, she like left him to go manage Hulk Hogan and they were rivals. And it was this (laughs) whole, whole thing. Now, as I said, not all of this is great. Rowdy Piper that I'll also talk about soon. He was also in, uh, I think he was in one or two, always sunny, but yeah, Randy Savage, he, Died young, 58, heart attack, sudden heart attacks. And you're going to, this is going to be an ongoing theme. What's really sad is uh, Miss Elizabeth, his manager, you know, she had this, they're never really known anything bad about their marriage with Randy Poffo, but they ended up getting divorced as celebrities do. And she went through a few marriages, had a horribly abusive husband. And then in her 40s, she was found dead, uh, drugs and alcohol. And it's just, uh, it's a it's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. I know you said you want to stay away from darkness, but just wrestling. Well, we're not getting away from it here. Well, I'm just saying, like, not only is it steroids, but it seems like cocaine, alcohol. Like, not. I have, I have no problem with with weed or anything like that because that's grown. I don't. You know me. I'm straight laced. I don't do anything. But when you get to the Stuff like cocaine, stuff like heroin, like that's bad drugs. And it just seems like that was running rampant in the world of wrestling, especially. I mean, Rick James said it when he was on Chappelle's show. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. I feel like that's what everybody says is saying here. And look, a lot of this, a lot of this comes down to that. uh, This this is still entertainment. I mean, how many Hollywood people do we talk about that? 100 percent. Yeah. I was listening to Amy Winehouse this morning on the way to school. I Mm -hmm. mean, explain to my kids that. She died very young because she did drugs. Yeah, and so that's that's part of what this is. But yeah. I want to talk about the other, who I, I still think is one of the biggest wrestlers there ever was of my time period is Canadian professional wrestler Roderick Toombs, otherwise known as Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I remember <laughs> that name, too. Now, I have no idea 
how in the holy hell some Canadian wrestler, the dude looks Canadian, the dude sounds uh-huh. Canadian, gets uh-huh. away with wearing a kilt. But <laughs> hey, <laughs> do what you got to do, I guess. And I don't, again, with wrestling, I remember Roddy Piper as as anything but a wrestler. I know he wrestled. I know he did stuff and things like that. He played Domaniac on FX. That's who he played. That's right. I, I remember that. I remember him very well. And you're right. He. I don't mean to generalize Canadians, but he looks like what I imagine Canadians. Oh, he's like. absolutely. You see that. But. <laughs> He was this, uh, you know, another another guy that died fairly young. He had he had heart issues. He died of a heart attack uh, when he was sixty one, I believe. And Jesus. Um, yeah, but he he was known. I mean, look, it wasn't just it wasn't just uh, always sunny. Obviously, he knew that. But come on, John Carpenter's They Live. He walks in and says, "I'm here to chew bubble gum oh, and kick yeah. ass." I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. he was a well known, even to the point. I believe it was after he passed away, but uh, Ronda Rousey kind of took when she went from MMA to wrestling, took on his persona, wore the same kind of shirt, kilt, stuff like that. I mean, just a really, really outsized influence in in wrestling. And I I just I had to bring him up because he was uh, he was a legend. Yeah. Again, I remember him from Always Sunny. And I do remember it was like a white T-shirt and a kilt that he wore. Right. When he was a wrestler. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I just don't. I don't know anything about his wrestling career either. But a few other names I want to kind of close this off with to see if you know any of these people, Ty, is, uh, I mean, you know, somebody like a Dusty Rhodes was kind of not necessarily around my time, but a lot of people list him as one of the greatest wrestlers ever. Uh, There is, I'm looking at my list, Jerry Lawler, but we all know what he is. Ricky Steamboat. Who's that? Okay, no, I'm just Is it pretty... somebody who lived on our mm. neighborhood. Street that we grew up on? <laughs> Maybe that's why I always knew who he was. Is uh, uh, hacksaw Jim Dugan looked like a big old <laughs> I've hillbilly? Heard, I've heard that name before. Isn't it pronounced Duggan? Maybe it is. I remember yeah, always saying I, Jim I, Dugan, I, I, but it is two G's. Uh, you had um, oh the Ultimate Warrior, who was like a more extreme version. Of the Macho Man with all of his fringe yeah, and all that other stuff. Jake, that sounds familiar. Jake the Snake Roberts. Who, I know that name. I definitely know that name. <laughs> yeah, who had the? He would always come in with some big ass like yellow python mm-hmm. around his neck. King Kong Bundy. I don't know if you've ever seen King Kong Bundy. Maybe I'll use no, him as I, a picture for this. The dude no. is. You know how hairy my back is. You know how hairy his back is. My back or your yeah. back is. Oh, yeah. it's like you and I times ten. <laughs> it's like that Simpsons where Robin Wood, where it's uh, the sun's so hot that you have to have a Robin Williams level of hair. <laughs> yep, and he looks like a Sasquatch in the picture. The one that I do want to talk about because he might have not been super well known, but uh, and you want to talk about problematic, but a guy that just lives in our family's history more than anything is the junkyard dog. Yes, I believe our oldest brother played on a baseball team called the junkyard. Yes. Dog. He was this big African-American man that had this big, like, uh, not like chain, like a fashionable chain, but like a chain link around his neck. Uh So it wasn't a good look. Don't get me wrong. But he was, um, whenever he would be wrestling or something, and he would, like, get thrown or he'd come after a guy, he'd start going, ruff, 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 ruff. That's nuts. <laughs> wasn't wasn't uh wasn't Rick Flair like a big guy around this time? Yeah, Rick yeah, Rick fan. Flair. I'm trying to think of <laughs> I like know him because he's a Michigan fan. Yes. That's the only reason. Like I, I know he was a wrestler, but he's also like I think Jim Harbaugh invited him to an early recruiting thing that he had going on. 
I, I actually, he's another great Twitter follower. And, and that's, I guess what I'm saying is this is how I remembered it and wanted to tell you the story about some of these guys was, you know, this was a time period where it was, they were larger than life. And the, a lot of things that happened weren't great. Some of it was great. Guys like uh, the Iron Sheik is out there having a hell of a time on Twitter right now. Um, yeah. The Sarge, he's out there at G.I. Joe conventions yelling at uh, people, you know, 40-year-old middle-aged men saying, you know, at East Lee's. I mean, it is <laughs> – and, you know, we, we love it. They, they've really uh, – Rowdy Piper at the end of his life is doing Always Sunny. <laughs> I mean yeah. – it's a, these guys were, they ushered in this great era. They, they ushered in a lot of memories wrestling. I, I don't know. I mean, we could probably say, I don't have not watched a wrestling match in 30 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's any better. No, I told you during the break, I told you off mic that it's kind of serendipitous. We did this because my son and I were watching the Simpsons the other night and he played for me the episode where grandpa is the, yeah. the gla- glamorous Godfrey is what he calls him. And then Bart becomes a heel and they talk a lot like, why would people watch this? And I think Mr. Burns, because he's who's managing Grandpa, is he's always like, this is entertainment. It's pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, fuel to just get people angry. And like, even, you know, Bart and all, Bart's, all his classmates are booing him. Mm-hmm. Like, it, even the bullies are booing him because he's playing the heels so well. But I don't know. I guess like wrestling for me, it, it never appealed to me. But <laughs> what I want to know is what possessed you <laughs> and our oldest brother to pin me down and lick me on the face. Like, why would and two wrestlers who are like so <laughs> not even important in this world of wrestling? What drew you two to that? And then I guess it's just brothers harassing brothers type stuff. But Be- because what else? Me. If we did the camel clutch or the, I think Sergeant Slaughter is called the Cobra clutch or something like that, that could yeah. physically harm you, you know? And we decided, I, and I do, I want to end with this too. When I was in college, I remember there was that song where, uh, um, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drug all, drums uh-huh. all day. And again, you guys are going to have to imagine what I'm doing. But I remember my freshman year roommate, we're playing that one time. And he's like, do you remember the Bushwhack twins? I was like, <laughs> hell yeah, I remember the Bushwhack twins. And they used to come out to that song doing this. Yeah, dancing. Yeah, they're swinging their arms up and down, but like not regular. It's like they're vertically swinging their arms yeah, up and down. Yeah. And just like, you know, and we're also talking about the same brother who, when our parents used to force us to go to church, he would give me swirlies before church and then I would get in trouble for having wet mm-hmm. hair. So like, I guess it's just a rhetorical question to be like, why would you two pin me down and lick me on the face? Because like, that's what we saw on TV. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and that's what TV does to you. So Ty, if, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> if somebody needs to contact you to go become the next great pro wrestler, where are they going to find you? <laughs> oh, please do. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K. Most importantly, come read my stuff on Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I do pop culture, sports writing on there. I wrote a blog the other day about seeing my daughter actually vibe out to music for the first time. I loved it. She did it again last night when I picked her up from school, too. But check my stuff out there, Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I was just on a recent episode of Chuckled Chat, hosted by my buddy Glenn Adams. We talked about how Jim Halpert's trash, like Zach Morris's trash. We also think Jim Halpert is. You can find Chucklehead Chat wherever you get your podcasts. But most importantly, listen to me on this podcast, the Ex Millennial Man podcast. Rate, review us. I wanted to tell you on mic today that I'm rooting hard for the Bengals, even though I picked the Bills mm-hmm. to win, because I think the fact that the AFC is already selling yeah. Bills, Chiefs tickets is messed up. So the whole DeMar Hamlin thing, I think, gives the Bills an edge, but I will be rooting hard for the Bengals. And uh, as always, Black Lives Matter. 
Yeah, we repeat all that. Xmillennialmanseedsing.com. And uh, hey, I whatever i just hope the Bengals win you know that's uh <laughs> yeah, totally i the the complaining i understand the complaining but just go out and play and well yeah we may discuss that again here very very soon so <laughs> uh, i figured with all that being said we thank you for your ears anything else that you may use to listen to the ex-millennial man podcast remember we are here every saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows and well uh enjoy ty and uh i will i'll say it again go Bengals. yeah go Bengals. The X Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik and Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.